Hello and welcome to Hawkeye Nation. This is Hawkcast, your Iowa football, basketball, and recruiting podcast brought to you by GoIowaAwesomeAndRivals.com. I'm your recruiting analyst and host, Elliot Clough, at Elliot Clough on Twitter, joined by publisher Adam Jacoby and managing editor Ross Binder, as always. And for those of you who are unaware of what we've got going on on our premium content right now, you need to check it out it's all over my twitter it's all over the go iowa awesome twitter as well uh we have a crazy promo going on for our premium content where you can get all of that iowa basketball are are you shaking your head for a reason adam here it's crazy it's oh yeah that too (laughs) it doesn't make any business sense we're we can't do this we can't do this it's not possible anyway uh we're doing it anyway but Crazy deal going on right now. 75% off for the whole year for you to get insider information on recruiting, basketball, football, everything that we have. We let you know. Great conversations going on on the message boards. We're going to be talking about a bunch of different things going up uh, right now. Obviously, Mark Stoops not headed to Texas A&M. He's a potential future Iowa head coaching candidate. That's all on our board, as well as all the recruiting and uh, uh, basketball and football information. Having a story on 2025 quarterback Alex Mansky. That's up right now. He's a priority for Iowa. And yes, the youngest DeGene is available to talk to. I got a hold of him yesterday here in Ida Grove. So that story will be up here. And you can get it all for 75% off the entire year on iowa.rivals.com. All you got to do is head over to my Twitter or you can head over to the Go Iowa Awesome Twitter and find uh, iowa.rivals.com, that promo link. All you got to do is type in Rivals 2023 or if you click that promo link code, it'll auto-fill it for you and you get the entire year 75% off. Again, that code is Rivals 2023, all caps. You get all of that information all year long for 75% off. We'll remind you at the end of the pod, but got to talk about that 10th victory of the regular season for Iowa over Nebraska, 13 to 10 in Lincoln on Friday morning, afternoon, whatever you want to call it. Final minute insanity. Adam, as I typically do, I'll defer to you. Tell me your uh, initial thoughts on the game, all the craziness that was that final minute. Yeah, I thought it was pretty remarkable. And in the immediate aftermath, my thought was, I've never seen a game end quite like that. And, you know, that specific arrangement of plays I've never seen before. But we've seen a whole lot of games end similarly to that just this year, just that I was played, right? A whole lot of them have come down to defense needs to make a stop, makes the stop. Somebody needs to make a big play. Somebody makes a big play. Usually it's been Cooper DeGene. Uh, you're right. Like, but two turnovers in the last minute, <laughs> uh, the, the, the game breaking like field goal range play coming on a run. The specifics are Mad Libs sort of stuff, but I was been playing Mad Lib finish games all year and it's, fun to witness it because you know it's there's that novelty factor of oh i guess ethan herkett's making an interception today sure okay um why not but it's but it's also rewarding because we get to you know talk to guys 
like Marshall Meter, who, you know, wasn't on anybody's radar, not even, you know, six weeks ago, but six hours prior to, to the game. Like nobody was expecting Marshall Meter's parents weren't expecting him to be out there on that field to make a game winning kick, but he was. And, and there's been so many different opportunities through the absolute avalanche of injuries and, you know, through all the necessity and, and uh, all the um, adversity, there's been so many opportunities for guys to be that next man up to, you know, sort of play the hero for a day for a week uh, or, you know, for in the case of Deacon Hill to be the um, you know, conference division winning quarterback, right? Like he can be the hero for the last half of the season, uh, the important half. <laughs> and, uh, so that that part's been really amazing to see and and has really been rewarding to cover, you know, from the games itself. Uh, Ross, how did that game play out on TV? Well, I mean, because it was such a close game and it was, you know, coming down to the final minutes, I think one of the things they really hammered on, and rightly so, was, uh, you know, Iowa has a very good record, especially recently uh, in close games. And, find, you know, they essentially have been able to find ways to win. Like you said, it's been kind of Mad Lib style. Like, how is this happening somehow? But it happens. Whereas Nebraska is like the complete opposite. Whereas they will find the most ludicrous, impossible ways to lose games. And, again, that's kind of what happened here. And so that storyline was something that they, you know, brought up. And it's exactly what, you know, came to pass in that final minute. Um, you know, I was just looking at the uh, the play-by-play chart, and Iowa gets the ball back with 55 seconds. Um, and uh, and that's when that precedes kind of all of the madness that was to happen uh, because that's Iowa has the ball, and they're at the uh, their 27-yard line. So they've got a ways to go to get into field goal range uh, to try and win the game. And it kind of looked at what, you know, we've, we, it gets down to 31 seconds and it's third and 12 from the 25. So they've gone backwards. And at that point you're thinking, well, they're just gonna, you know, it's going to be the give up draw play and we're going to play for overtime. And instead Deacon Hill throws a, a YOLO ball you know, down the field, like double coverage. So, Everybody on that sideline in that little group expected Iowa to just force Nebraska to call a timeout <clears throat> and just take it to OT, right? It, it was a because, like you said, they were on the 25 yard line. This was not a situation where it was going to be feasible, especially on third down, especially with I mean, I'm sorry, especially with Deacon Hill back there in the pocket. They don't need to make that play to win the game, so. We're thinking, okay, this is, even by, like, Kirk standards, this is a no-brainer, kneel on it, take it to OT. And the fact that Iowa called that timeout, like, as soon as he said timeout Iowa, everybody on that sideline's like, huh? Uh, (laughs) And and we really didn't understand in that moment what a precursor to insanity that it was. But pretty much directly to a Nebraska defender. Like it was, he'd been testing fate a few times that afternoon, but that was a, I mean, 
you, you need to expect that to be an INT as soon as it leaves your hand. And um, he did say that there's a little bit of miscommunication afterwards. So I don't know if that meant that it wasn't the right route being run. And we, we saw that happen. Like, that was such an epidemic in years past, especially 2007, that at this point, I'm I'm just like, okay, if somebody says that, says that there's a miscommunication and the throw is nowhere near where it needed to be, I'm just going to assume that's on the receiver. You know, that's sort of the Dominique Douglas special. And, well, that's one of many specials for him. Uh, <laughs> Ross, I knew you were going to get that one. Uh, but anyway, um, going back off of that, though, the fact that Iowa was going to get the ball back after that INT, you know, the players were all confident of it. I don't think any of us were <laughs> for a lot of reasons. And um, Nebraska takes over at midfield after there's, yeah. a, there's a holding penalty on the run back. So that pushes them back, I think, 10 yards. So they have the ball yeah. at their own. Secret 40. yardage already. <laughs> yeah. They have the ball at their own 45. Um, at that point, Purdy took off. He scrambled on the first down, uh, went out of bounds, right? Which that mm -hmm. stopped the clock. Yeah. Yeah. And drew light applause. And then they took a timeout after that, which was, I mean, I guess they're trying to get the right play in. Yeah, but that was another one of those, like, seriously? <laughs> the fact that he just never saw uh, a guy like Ethan Herkett, all 265 pounds of him or, or whatever he's listed at, dropping straight back into, like, and it wasn't even, like, shallow, shallow middle. Herkett was about 10 yards off the line of scrimmage if you watch that play again. Like, he was, he was dropped back well back and Purdy just never ever sees him it was it was a pretty clever blitz and part of what makes Phil Parker so dangerous is my guess is they had not seen that particular mix of a drop back and linebacker blitz and stunt and all that my guess is they had not seen that precise x and o not only all game but on film all year from Iowa. And that is when you're never showing these people the same blitz look twice, it's so hard for the lineman to prepare for it. And, and another reason why you always hear uh, opposing coaches talk about Phil Parker, like it looks simple, but it's not right. The play calling aspect of it is simple. <clears throat> what it ends up looking like for the guys on offense, never simple. And and that is sort of an underappreciated aspect of what Phil Parker does. But yeah, Parker gets himself in that position. And instead of Iowa committing that penalty that Nebraska committed, that moved them back those 10 yards and negated what had been a long return by the Huskers, Parker gets 10 yards rolling forward and, and even gets tackled forward uh, with on something that was awfully close to a horse collar or face mask, but it ended up being clean. Could have not been uh, very easily. And, uh, and all of a sudden, I was so close right there. Again, hidden yards <laughs> in, in the weirdest, dumbest way for them. 
you, you know, you talk about the just the Mad Libs nature of some of these plays, and you know, you've got the Ballhawks who kind of all season the Doughboys, you know, the D-backs have kind of struggled to to bring in the interceptions this year. It just hasn't been to the same level we've seen in the past. And here, you know, one of the biggest interceptions of the season comes from a defensive end, you know, converted former linebacker who drops back into a zone coverage. And it's like, that's Iowa football. That's the Iowa defense, especially in 2023. Like that's, this is what's happening. Like it's just these plays that no one would ever necessarily draw up or expect, but you know, this is what's happening and and it's working obviously. Yeah. Like if you had predicted ahead of time that this game would hinge on an Ethan Herkett interception, I would have sent it back to you and been like, no, 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 no. Like pick something better, right? Pick, pick something that's going to happen. And lo and behold. And also like somewhere in this sequence, we also, we had the, the, the 12 seconds or 10 seconds that the Nebraska timekeeper uh, left on the clock, right? That, that that happens. Yeah, what was the the deal with that? Because we weren't hearing anything about it, of course, on on the sideline. And and I had seen that there was a report that there was like twelve seconds missed somewhere. I never saw the details on that though. Yeah, that was something they did bring up on the TV broadcast, and it was after one of the plays, the clock didn't start, and the officials didn't realize it, and so the clock time should have ran off and didn't. And obviously that became uh, critical at the end of the game when Iowa had, you know, enough time to run a, a handful of plays before that game-winning field goal from Meter. Um, so, I, I mean, that whole final minute was such a blur that I, I, I can't remember exactly when the, the time should have run off. Um, it might have been after Deacon Hill got sacked on second down uh, of the Iowa possession. Um, <laughs> the the one where he threw the interception on third down, uh, but yeah, that was a critical uh, you know timekeeping error that at first was like, oh, Nebraska's got extra time when they get the interception, and then they threw the interception two plays later, and now Iowa has this extra time that shouldn't actually be there. Um, so that was just another wrinkle uh, in that you know very crazy final minute. Minute, uh, Elliot, uh, what did you uh, think during all of this? Well, Adam, to be frank, I don't know what you're talking about. I knew Marshall Meter was going to get that opportunity with uh, four seconds left the whole time. Um, it, it was all he could talk about on, uh, yeah, on the drive-in. Yeah, the whole time. In all reality, we were down there with several other media members, and Iowa took over with however much time left, tie ball game. Uh, this is prior to – Deacon throwing the interception and Adam, you and I are on the same page. Why are they not, or why did they call this timeout? Why are they airing it out? Kneel the damn ball. What is happening right now? Or run the ball. Like if you want any iota of a chance to get a field goal, run the ball and, and don't put the ball in Deacon Hill's hands at this moment in time. Miscommunication results in a pick. We are very much of the thought that this game is going to end poorly. Whether or not Nebraska was able to convert there, it was a maybe, maybe I'm being a, a little hyperbolic there, but my thought was that what the hell is going on? That's pretty much it. And then 
Somehow Ethan Herkett gets the ball back, gets that pick. Um, you can see it clearly in the film on that play. You can see him. Chubba Purdy did not <laughs> clearly, and I that has to be that has to be a ramification of of knowing what had happened uh, and looking at film previously. It's like they're not going to drop a defensive end over the middle and have him essentially play linebacker. He just leaps up, grabs that pick, and runs forward. Didn't have much to say after the game. Ethan is not much of a talker, but. <clears throat> To not only have that happen, but for LeSean Williams to run for 22 yards on the ensuing play, if anybody tells you they saw that happen and or saw that happening and were not clearly sarcastic like I was about two minutes ago, they should be in a mental facility because nobody saw that happening. Let alone <clears throat> after Drew Stevens having an awful day, which we'll talk about here uh, momentarily. Marshall meter coming on with four seconds left. Like I would not have put it past Kirk or, or anybody on that staff to say, maybe we send out our kicker who has, even though he struggled has been good previously and had that game winner against essentially game winner against Northwestern. Why don't we send him back out on the field, even though he's had a tough day and give him an opportunity to win this thing. If not, we go to overtime. But no, they send out the Central Michigan walk-on transfer for the 38-yard field goal, and he narrowly gets it past Nebraska, who nearly blocked a third field goal on the day and therefore could have returned it back for the game-winning touchdown, which maybe that's why Drew, uh, you know, Drew, they didn't send Drew out for, uh, for a, a third time. Uh, narrowly gets it by, squeaks in, Iowa wins the football game. Yeah. Yeah. You know, talking about that field goal, um, it was not the prettiest or easiest, uh, cleanest field goal. And I I think there was a little issue with the snap. Uh, Torrey Taylor had to do some work to uh, on the hold to get that in a good position for meter to kick it and and make it. Um, So, yeah, that was interesting that there seemed to be some issues with snaps on on kicks, at least that one um, during the game. But, yeah, I mean, meter. That's just an incredible, you know, no one knew who this guy was when the game started. And now he's alongside Keith Duncan and Miguel Racinos as Hawkeye, you know, kicking legends for beating uh, Nebraska on walk-off kicks. Um, That's just an incredible uh, chapter to this season. And... There is a little bit of precedent for Kirk trotting out kickers that we've never heard of to make these game-winning kicks with the time expiring because that's pretty much the story of Daniel Murray uh, beating Penn State in in 2008 uh, back in Iowa City. And, you know, that was a situation where I I think that was the first time we had seen Daniel Murray kick a football in a Hawkeye uniform. I'm, I'm fairly sure on that. And if it wasn't, it was, you know, first few times and, and certainly the not the situation that he had started the game in. So we've seen it happen before, but, you know, there there had been a report during the game that Meter would be taking over for, um, uh, for Drew Stevens on field goals. Like the, the report had come out in the second half and we had shared it internally and I was like, I don't trust that. 
uh, unless me until I see meter out there on the field, I don't trust that report. And it turns out that it was accurate and, and the timing even checked out when we had talked to meter after the game, uh, Elliot, I think you were the one that even asked Marshall, like, when did you find out yep. that it was going to be you? And he said, you know, we had talked about it at halftime. And so, so that all ended up, uh, checking out. So, uh, shout out to, uh, uh, was it a uh, voice of on the Hawkeyes or uh, uh, Hawkeye of the storm, Corey Brada. Hawkeye of the storm. That's it. Yep. Yep. Shout out Gotta to give credit they, where credit's due. Yep. 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 Um, which. Yeah. I, I was in the same boat as, as you, Adam did not see that as like, Oh, I, that's going to happen. You know, I, I was going to believe it when Marshall trotted out there and lo and behold, Marshall trotted out there um, for that 38 yard kick. And man, uh, the way the team responded to Marshall obviously making that kick is one thing. They rallied around him beforehand and were all on his side very clearly. Yep. And then afterwards, uh, if you haven't seen it yet, you're one of few people. I was able to get a video of Marshall on the field after uh, they they swarmed him and, and he ran off. And I said, uh, you caught me saying his name, Marshall, at the end. But I said, what do you have to say, Marshall? And he said, it's a great day to be a Hawkeye. And if you haven't seen the video yet, you can check it over, uh, check it out over on my Twitter at, at Elliot Clough there. Um, and while you're there, sign up on our, our crazy promo code we've got going on. But uh, Marshall, I could tell he thought about it. He's like, should I say anything? And then he turned and, and gave the quote of the week. It's great to be a Hawkeye, and and Marshall was was solid in in the post game presser as well. Considering this is the first time we've spoken to him, um, and and shared his his story how he ended up at Iowa. Didn't think he was gonna be playing football this year, and then he gets a text from Lavar Woods amid the Aaron Blom issue of of gambling, and he said, "You want to be a Hawkeye?" And here he is uh, making this field goal, and he said it's the number one memory in his football career, which obviously right <laughs> obviously that was wild um he he was really gracious uh, towards drew stevens as well in those uh those post-game comments you know it was just an awful day for stevens and i'm sure he wasn't feeling good at that moment but uh meter was phenomenal i thought in uh, trying to to pump him up and and you know just talking about the relationship they have so that was impressive too yeah, definitely. And if uh, if you haven't seen that or, or heard the quote exactly, I I think uh, Lysico said something about him having tears in his eyes when he was asked about Stevens. I couldn't tell from my vantage point, but he definitely there was an emotional backing to what he had to say. He uh, said that you know Drew is my brother. I wish it was him making that field goal and not me. Um, and it was it was a pretty it was his last question, last question he answered at the presser and um, definitely put, put a cap on, on all of that. But to further that point, what a brutal day for Drew Stevens, uh, two blocked field goals. And like, what do we, what do we attribute that to? Um, obviously low. And to not have one block, but two blocked, obviously there's something wrong uh, with, with how they're going about things. Is it the cold? Is it just an off day? What do we, I mean, like you mentioned, Ross, the bad snap on that final, on that final play. Like, what do we, what do we, what do we see there? What did you see there, especially Ross on, on the TV broadcast? 
Well, like I said, there was definitely a, an off snap on the last one. I don't recall the snaps on the first two that were blocked. Um, but, you know, talking about, you know, the issue, we had, he had the extra point blocked at the end of the Illinois game uh, last week. So, you know, there's been some – and he's had some other kicks. Did he have kicks missed? He, he, there's been several kicks missed or blocked in the last few weeks against Rutgers uh, and Northwestern also. So, you know, there is definitely a, a recurring trend here, which is not a good one. Um, and then the other issue he was having yesterday was, you know, two two kicks out of bounds on kickoffs, which is, you know, something he hadn't come close to doing all season. Uh, and, you know, the wind was definitely a factor yesterday. But those kickoffs, one of them was with the wind and one of them was against the wind. And... You know, one kickoff out of bounds, I think, is a oops. That's a that's a mistake. Having it happen again is that really shouldn't happen. Like you should be able to correct against that unless there's some localized windstorm that hits during your kickoff or something. But and the wind uh, on the month really... on the month of November, Drew Stevens is four for ten. Yeah, it's Real... it's unusual for him, and and that is sort of a, a reflection of how uh, fragile isn't quite the right word, but um, five for 10 apologies, five for 10, not four for 10, but still not good. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, um, that's an F instead of an F minus. Uh, it's, I mean, that's, that's a dire number for a team like Iowa that is playing all these close games, you know, at the margins, yeah. like they have to be good at, th- at things like at the kicking game. And they were for, you know, the first two months of the season, he was really solid. Um, but having him struggle like this really, obviously Iowa has almost no margin of error anyway this season, but uh, without, with Stevens struggling too, that makes it really tough. Sorry, Adam, you were, you were saying yeah. something. Yeah. The uh, I I've been lucky enough to be friends with a former uh, D one kicker. And uh, one of the things they were telling me was about how much of it is uh, and um Drew has talked about the mental aspect of it uh, several times in like post-game conferences, but there really is a huge component that's just confidence and in the way that that translates into, you know, bringing your leg through the, uh, the point of attack, the target, and, um, you know, having conviction on the line that you're trying to kick through and, and all of these sorts of things. So it, there might just be some sort of mental block somewhere in the process for Drew might be some sort of uh, like, it might be as simple as like one, like stabilizing muscle on his plant leg, not feeling great. Right. It it could be any number of things. And I was just pulling that out as a random example. That's not a thing that has been reported or anything, but you know, all sorts of things go into just this one little task. And it's the only task these players have as D one athletes, you kick the ball just the one time, right? It's it's not like punting where, all right, well, just try to get it close to this or, and if it goes into the end zone, it's fine. And it's just, it comes out and it's, it's not like golf where you have 70 different tries and, and you're trying to, you know, make sure they're all as good as possible. You're in there for that one kick. You're in there in that one situation to do one thing. 
and um, the game just sort of hinges on whether or not you do it well. So a whole lot happens between the years, and it's it sort of goes to why they mentioned that what they're really trying to do is just black out, that they're trying to just not think. And so I, I my guess is Drew's just doing too much thinking out there, and they just have to fix that before he goes to Indianapolis. Basically, it it can happen. You can do that. Uh, it's this this does not need to be the end of the drew stevens thing because he's a great kicker like he has been as solid as iowa could have asked for uh so even though daniel murray you know getting thrown in there out of nowhere even though that ended up rocketing him to iowa stardom this does not have to be the end of the Drew Stevens thing. And my guess is it's not the end of the Drew Stevens thing. Uh, but it, it's still sort of a reminder that, you know, <laughs> you got to be out there. You got to be ready to compete and, and contribute positively. And all of a sudden that has not been a, a sure thing for Drew. And so <laughs> here you go. <laughs> Since October, he's 10 of 17, which is 59%. And still an F. So this is just not this is not just a November thing. And to boot, that blocked PAT, which really like that's that's not good. Like you could say one yeah. thing about missing wide right on a 53-yard field goal. That's one thing or another. Like that that can slide, but having a PAT blocked is not good. And that's clearly an issue with lift. He's that was the first PAT he's missed in his his career at Iowa. That was last week against Illinois. So yeah, the one of the blocks from the Nebraska game, you know, when we watched it on the um, slow mo replay, it it had come down so low and and so far off what looked like a, a good line. He was probably going to miss it if it weren't blocked, and it was a chip shot. Like it it just didn't look good coming off his foot, and that. You know, if everything else gets taken care of and it just comes off bad, that's on the kicker and that's it. Like, got to do something about that. And it's again, it's just sort of shocking because Drew has been as reliable as Iowa could have asked for, not only this season, but going back to last season. You have anything to say, Ross? No, I was just going to say that kind of segues into what we were going to talk about next, which is, you know, Adam mentioned that one of the few goals he missed was a chip shot in the first half, and it was. And, you know, in that first half, Iowa had some real scoring opportunities that they just, you know, missed on. Like, it was a 10-7 game at halftime, and that was arguably the worst possible score that Iowa could have had at that point in the game. Like, they were really controlling the game well in the first half. Uh, the second half was was a return of our old friend, the three and out on offense, which uh, we saw a lot of. But the second half or the first half, they were moving the ball well. They got, you know, moved the ball. Were opportunities. And that score at worst should have been 16-7 at halftime with uh, Stevens had two field goals, very makeable field goals blocked. Uh, if not, possibly 20 to 7, because prior to the second blocked field goal, um, Deacon Hill threw a really nice pass towards Caleb Brown in the corner of the end zone. 
and it just kind of skipped through Caleb Brown's arms. So he tried to catch it with his body instead of his yep. hands. It which, was this. Yep. Yeah, which that, that doesn't work. Technique. Like, you, use your hands, man. Um, and yeah, so that sh- probably should have been a touchdown. But, you know, those are just a lot of missed opportunities, missed points. And, you know, what should have been uh, probably two score lead and, you know, feeling pretty comfortable at halftime. It's 10, seven at halftime. Like it's another like, Oh boy, you know, hold on to your butts. Here we go again. Uh, type game. So what was the, what were you guys seeing in the press box on, on some of those drives? Yeah, uh, that was really what jumped out to us too, was that there were opportunities to turn the drives into points that Iowa was missing. And again, exactly like you said, this is the sort of team that can't afford to do things like miss chip shot field goals, uh, especially when the offense, you know, if if they are in field goal range and first down doesn't go great, you know, they're just going to play for the field goal anyway. And so to go into turtle mode and then just miss the kick defeats the purpose of playing that conservatively. So it was very reminiscent actually of the Iowa state game, right? That was a game that Iowa won by six, but really should have won by a whole lot more. And I mean, gosh, they were up 20 to three, like that. It wasn't a competitive game. It wasn't a game where you're looking at it like, Oh, Iowa state's hanging with them. You know, clones had not hung with them. Nebraska is, I think, a little bit better than Iowa State. Uh, and, and I know that that's kind of crazy to say, being that ISU just, you know, hung 42 on Kansas State and is going to a bowl game. But Nebraska, at the very least, was in a position to make that a game, to, you know, have the ball with a chance to go ahead and win. ISU was not competitive on that level. But it was another one of those situations where Iowa did not take advantage of all its opportunities. And so when that offense, you know, hits the ditch, which just so happened, or, you know, happens to happen pretty much every second half and third quarter in particular, something to be, um, you know, that, that, that's a bad halftime adjustment. (laughs) No more first downs. You know, I I think you gotta, you gotta take that one off the, off the uh, dry erase board. Um, and that's why Brian Ferentz is out of a job. Um, I'm, I'm just saying that before all the bad takes say that in earnest. Um, but no, that's it's another one of those things where the game didn't need to be close. Just did not need to. And, and things in that second half probably start to shake out a little bit differently if Chubba Purdy is throwing with um, desperation is trying to make up ground and and I was able to you know call their defensive plays off of that as opposed to this being a dogfight this being a all right we got to bend but not break here right uh and to Iowa's credit they did bend and they didn't break right they never gave up the lead Iowa was never trailing in that game uh but you know <laughs> by the grace of God only really and uh but Again, somehow they found a way to win and keep up that insane stat of if they ever have an eight-point lead or eight-plus-point lead, they win. It's now, I think I saw 71-2, and two, might be 73-2. and two. It's, it's 
again, it's an insane stat and, and one that you would expect to have so many more qualifiers attached to it. No, no, they were up by eight or more and they won the game because that's what they do under Kirk Ferentz. It's just what they do. It's incredible. He can't keep getting away with this. Well, <laughs> well he 71 is. and two. Well, or 73 and two. Well, one of the two. Who knows? But uh yeah. Uh I mean I, I would put it put that I don't know. I don't know if label is the right word. Put that label on probably a majority of Iowa's games. Honestly, Adam, you referenced the Iowa mm-hmm. State game. They should have beat Utah State by more. They should have beat Northwestern by more. They should have beat Illinois by more. They should have beat Minnesota. Yeah. Period. Yeah. And this is something we we talk about almost every week. And and I think it, it kind of got overshadowed last week by the fact that they were the Big Ten West champions. But points left on the board repeatedly every week. When you're an offense that's as bad as this one is, repeatedly every week, you have to get points when you can. And if you're also missing field goals, uh, ugh, not exactly going the way that things uh, need to. And one thing I'm going to ask Kirk when we get him is if it's going to be Marshall Meter again this week because of Drew Stevens' struggles. And, like, <clears throat> I don't know if we're going to get, you know, uh, Kirk when asked about Joe Labus or if he's actually going to take the question seriously. But we'll we'll see. And, and I think it needs to be asked. Uh, would you guys agree with that? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah it, it does need to be asked. I don't know if we're going to get an answer because probably a lot's just going to come down to how they practice this week, uh, right? Like this is adversity that we need to see or that coaches need to see how Drew responds to and that that response time just sort of hasn't happened yet. So I do, I want to hear that out of Kirk's mouth or I, I want to hear what his plan is because that's a big decision and it's, it's, can potentially affect the game in as many ways as a quarterback decision can, right? Because it's, you know, three points here, or if it's like you said earlier, if it gets blocked and taken the other way, you know, that's seven points going the other direction. And if Drew's starting get starting to get blocked repeatedly, <laughs> that's, you know, that's a real material concern at that point. So they have to they have to figure some things out. And you know, this is sort of a code red for LeVar Woods, too. This is a, you know, one of your most solid guys in years has suddenly, you know, veered into the wall. Now what? Right. So it's going to be very interesting to see how they try to coach Drew back from this because I, I do think it's going to be a coaching thing and a confidence thing. And just because we've we've seen it so much from him already that we know that he hasn't just forgotten how to kick and how to get lift that there's just got to be something what it's probably just one little wonky thing in the mechanics somewhere they're probably going to see it but they got to figure out what it is first and and pretty clearly they have to figure that out quickly and so i want to hear that from kirk anyway the other thing about that is Drew definitely has more range than Marshall does. 
And when you're facing a defense like Michigan and Ohio State with this type of offense, it's not exactly going to get easy to move into their territory. So does that mean we're more likely to see Drew Stevens? I would say so. Um, And Meter, I mean, he squeaked through a 38-yard field goal, like given the circumstances and just putting it through and, and making sure it doesn't get blocked. All of those things may have resulted in that 38-yard, you know, barely getting it through. But Drew is is clearly bigger. He has more weight, and and he has the the leg for those those bigger kicks. But at the same time, you're facing a, a Michigan team that has a hell of a lot better athletes than Nebraska has. When we're talking about blocked field goals resulting in something returned for points as well, so. That's something to take into consideration when we're talking about lift. We're talking about all these issues. And, you know, the last thing I, I want to say is that I think we can all agree it's it's mental because we've seen Drew do it before. Uh, you call it the yips, call it whatever you want. But sports psychology is something that is important. I don't know how the team is approaching that, whether they're keeping it with the team. I don't even know if they have a sports psychologist. Could do you guys know? I would imagine so. I would imagine I'm sure, so. I'm sure there's someone that works with the team. Yeah, for sure. Right. And if not, I mean, like when I was at UNI, students got free access to mental health uh, counselors. So I'd imagine there's something to that effect with Iowa at the least. Um, and I, who's to say it's it's something that he feels like he needs, but, you know, maybe it's a possibility. Maybe it's something that you approach um, and and see what you can get done within, you know, three, four days before you head to Indy. Yeah. Yeah. I I know that um, just really quick. I know both basketball teams have them. So I'd be shocked if the football team doesn't anyway, Ross, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I say the only thing I was going to add to the missed field goal discussion was on the second block that was almost recovered by Iowa and scored for a touchdown. If that actually would have counted, that may have been the touchdown of the year for Iowa because that was a completely ridiculous play. I think it should have counted. And I, I'm glad that you brought it up because the the explanation that came from the officials was basically a, nope, sorry, we blew it dead. Nothing you can do about that. Right. And and I guess when you say something to the effect of we blew it dead and after the block had already happened, okay. But I think the fact that it didn't cross the... Um, line of scrimmage when it got blocked or or after it got blocked, got recovered by Iowa. And I think fumbled by Iowa and then recovered in um, then for the, uh, for the touchdown. Although, uh, you know, I don't know if that's still the case, but I don't think that you can um, advance a fumble on fourth downs so that, but that wasn't what the officials had mentioned. So I don't know precisely if it would have counted at that point, but I, but it hadn't happened on third down. I don't know if it counts or not. And I think it would have, I think so, but it's so far in the weeds. Yeah. There was also a question on the, on the, when once it was blocked and it was recovered, you know, it looked like on the replay that Stevens might've been down. um, His leg might've been touching the ground when he was recovering it. So that would have, killed the play also so it was just a very ridiculous play but it would have been a very fitting touchdown in this season full of ridiculousness i think but, yeah, if only 
it wasn't to be. Uh, but on a different note about something that was actually good in the offense on Friday, uh, LaShawn Williams had a couple uh, really, really good runs. Uh, Elliot mentioned, you know, that clutch run he had at the end of the game that kind of moved them from a, oh boy, can they, they can, I guess, attempt a field goal from here, but it's going to be pretty dicey to, it's like, oh, this is actually a very makeable field goal they can, they can attempt now. And then he had a, a one earlier in the first half that was a 50-yard uh, run, which I was – both those were really impressive because I mean, Nebraska has one of the best run defenses in the country this year. Like, they have been a rock uh, against other, you know, running backs and, and running games this season. And, um, you know, it wasn't necessarily consistent success from LaShawn or Caleb in this game. But, you know, maybe I think that's kind of – what you need against a defense like that is, you know, you just keep pounding away at it. And then if you can break, you know, one or two big runs like that, um, you take that and you try to capitalize on them. You know, they were able to, with the run at the end of the game, the 50 plus yard run ended up being one of the missed field goals, I believe. Um, but yeah, those, those were notable, notable runs to me. Uh, Adam, what did you see? Yeah, it's, it's been pretty remarkable to see this from Leishon because after the, uh, you know, the Penn State game, which was a debacle for everybody on offense, the last three road games, essentially, or, or trips away from uh, Kinnick at the very least, you know, if, if you want to call the Nebraska or the uh, Northwestern game a road game or not is up to you. Um, <laughs> it's a road game in name only, regardless. Leishan has averaged 121 yards rushing on the ground in those three games. And a lot of that is chunk plays, you know, those big plays. Um, but a lot of it is also those, you know, getting five yards, six yards, getting tackled forward, uh, moving the chains. Uh, we've seen a lot of that from him, uh, even without the big runs. And, and as the game goes on, he gets harder to tackle. And that's pretty remarkable for a guy who looked like he should be like the third toughest guy to, to bring down out of the backfield when he's sharing it with guys like Caleb Johnson and Jazz Patterson, right? Like those guys are very like physical competitive runners. And yet, you know, even on the 22 yard run that, that set up the field goal, I mean, Leishan was running in beast quake mode. Like it was a, you're not going to bring me down. And when we were talking was, to him after the he game, he was dragging guys. Yeah. He was, yeah. And he, he told us he was trying to score and, and not in just a, like I had the ball. So I wanted to score. It was a, like, no, he wanted to get in that end zone more than anything. And that is, he mentioned at the beginning of the year, that a big part of that was just sharing that uh, running back room with Jazz Patterson and, you know, seeing the way that he competes and, and runs that hard and being like, well, you know, if it's a choice, then I can do that myself. And, and it's, it's brought out a level of competitiveness when he's toting that tater that maybe had not been coming out of leash on before. And, uh, and so the way that he has stepped up into that role, especially with all the adversity going on with Jazz and with Caleb and, you know, with the fact that it was only true freshmen behind them. The fact that we've seen Leishon, you know, turn into a 
I think he's at a 700 yards rushing on the season or something very close to it. Uh, and, you know, in, the, in a three-man backfield and essentially a platoon situation and with his own injuries to deal with, like, that's pretty remarkable. That's, that's resiliency. And, uh, you know, probably not the guy that you would have expected to lead this team in rushing when the season started. I think that 50-yard run resulted in the sneak by Deacon. I'm not positive. I know you had mentioned that you thought it ended in the missed field goal. I think that's – I think because he was pretty damn close to the end zone, one. And two, man, there have been – there was the big run for him against Wisconsin where he did score. And, boy, the breaking of the tackles – was phenomenal and resulted in a big long run, but oh man, I want to work. I want to see him work on his, his speed because there have been a couple runs where it's just, if he had it, if he had just like one iota, one little bit of, of added speed to his, his, his runs, his long runs, he'd be in the end zone. Um, And and that's, that's here. Right. And that's not negative. I mean, he's, he's popping off these runs. It's just something to be added. And if he can finish off those runs, you know, things are a little bit more comfortable for this Iowa offense because he's breaking the tackles. He's breaking the tackles. Uh, to your point, Adam, he has 779 yards this season, uh, averaging 5.03 yards per carry. So oh, good numbers, really good yeah. numbers for LaShawn. LaShawn. And I, I agree, like none of us would have expected that at the start of the season. I mean, obviously, I think everyone before the season – would have pegged Caleb Johnson to lead Iowa in rushing uh, and, and yards per carry and everything. Um, and that hasn't happened for, you know, several reasons, but uh, Lishan has really stepped up, just been a tremendous running back for, you know, an offense that, you know, has badly needed that um, he's been really good. And, and like you said, especially away from Kinnick, you know, that, yeah. That is really impressive to do that. Um, you know, it's it's not home cooking. He's going going on the road, and he is uh, punishing those defenses on the road. So that is wonderful to see. Yeah, and and we're we're talking about uh, Camp Randall. We're we're talking about Memorial Stadium in Lincoln, and we're we're talking about you know you know Wrigley Field was essentially a home game, uh, but you know it was it was an, an odd environment, and he had as much family as he could possibly bring there to see him. Like there, there was that, that sort of road pressure in its own way, even if the stands were 80, 90% Hawkeyes, like this is a guy who does not shy away from these big moments in these big stages. And, uh, you know, he's, and this is coming out of the mouth of a 40 something white guy, but he's got that dog in him. There, there's just no other way to put it. He's, He's that kind of competitor. Okay. So anyway, um, (laughs) (laughs) talking about this game, a couple other things we have to address offensively is the health of the team, which has continued to be an issue. Logan Jones still out. Tyler Ellsbury has been phenomenal stepping in for Logan Jones. First of all. Yeah. Secondly, now all five starters have been hurt at one point in time on the offensive line. Jennings Dunker goes out, replaced by Nick DeYoung uh, on, on the offensive line, which I had said that I was a bit surprised it wasn't Dejon Parker. Um, 
And I got a fan who's obviously smarter than me saying, no, they trust Nick Dia, of course, but uh, on Twitter. And, uh, you know, I, I, in saying that I was surprised, uh, you know, a bit surprised it wasn't Dejan. I, I think I, I'd speak for us three saying that I was kind of hoping it'd be Dejan. I, I'd like yeah. to see him get some run and, and get some meaningful snaps this season. Granted, Nick DeYoung is one of those more flexible guys to go out there and and has earned the trust of the staff in, in a variety of positions and um, and all of that. But anywho, Caleb Brown also out. We've got an update on his health on our premium message board, which you can join today with that promo code RIVALS2023, all caps, RIVALS. Um, go to iowa.rivals.com backslash subscribe. Use that promo code, get the whole year 75% off. But we do have an update on some health of, of the guys on our premium board. Uh, regarding next week and and not just Caleb as well guys like Deontay Vines and uh, I talked to another player before the game and and got some info but um regarding health of of, of players going to the Big Ten championship game having the health of some of these guys up in the air is not ideal when you've already got your two all-americans you know all the other guys out um so I don't know if you guys have any other extra thoughts on that, but Jennings Dunker has started to figure things out and, you know, uh, he's had struggles and he kind of, he pretty straight struggled pretty bad in that Illinois game, but to have that fifth offensive lineman go out at this point in the season, Oh, like I, I, it's, I don't have any words other than an exasperated, you know, if this was closed caption, it would say exasperated on the bottom or exasperated side. <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know what else to say. Uh, if you guys have anything. M- muffled I mean, it's sounds just... of disbelief. Right. <laughs> there we go. I mean, it's just, it, it's for the Michigan game, the big 10 championship game. Like you want all hands on deck as much as possible. Like you, you want everyone to be available that you can, you know, there's some guys that it's not possible. Obviously Cade, uh, Lachey, Eric, all like they're just they're out. That's not a question. Um, but anyone else you'd hope, you know, that has a chance to be available for that game, you know, you'd hope they can, you know, they're able to play and able to contribute because Iowa, uh, you know, they just they're so down, especially on offense in terms of of producers and then starters that you you just hope that they can get back for for Saturday night. Yeah, in terms of guys being that next man in uh elliot i think what your problem was was that you read the depth chart and the depth chart had shown dejon parker as the second string right tackle sorry guys what were you thinking man what (laughs) i know it means nothing i know it means nothing that's on me that's like saying alec wick is second string wide receiver yeah yeah it's right there on the paper yep yep Anyway, they are set to take on Michigan this coming Saturday in the Big Ten Championship in Indianapolis. Adam and I will be there. I'll be sticking around for uh, the game against Purdue. Any notes that we have, again, will be our, on the premium board so uh, that we that we uh, don't turn into articles anyway. And so going into this one, Michigan the heavy favorite. I believe they're favored by 22.5 according to uh, so several betting apps and sites. So 
I mean, guys, how does how does Iowa stay competitive in this one? Is there any way they could squeak it out, especially without big playmaker? Like if if we were talking about this three weeks ago, I'd say Cooper DeGene is almost their only shot on special teams. And if he makes a play defensively. I, I was actually thinking about that. I don't know, Friday or yesterday, as in fact, that like not having Cooper for this game is just such a crushing blow because and number one, he's your best defensive back. So he's going to be able to, you know, play, you know, hopefully cover Michigan's best receivers and slow them down, stop them. That's a big loss. Uh, his special team's ability is just, you know, incomparable, both as a gunner, like him downing uh, Tory's punts. Like that's been an unbelievable combination all year. Don't have that. Him as a returner. I mean, we've seen what he can do as a punt returner. It's phenomenal. He should have you know, two punt return touchdowns this year, if not for the uh, corrupt Big Ten replay official. I said it. Not going to take it back. <laughs> um, okay. <laughs> and, and you know, maybe you know, we, we've only seen like, the barest glimpse of him on offense. So I don't think we could count on him for much on offense necessarily. But, like, this is the Big Ten title game. Like, if you're going to empty the – the deck and you know empty the bucket of all your plays and all your ideas like anything you've thought about doing with Cooper DeGene on offense I would think they would have probably thought about trying it in that Michigan game just as a possibility of like hey we got to do something to move the ball to try and get yards to you know stress that defense make something happen and now that's you know obviously that's none of that's possible because of that just truly unfortunate uh, leg injury that he had a couple weeks ago and it sucks and really really sucks i wish there was a more eloquent thing to say about it but I, I don't have anything it sucks uh but adam you were gonna say something there yeah the uh what you're talking about is essentially the playbook that purdue had for michigan uh last year it's just you know empty the playbook everything that you've put on film like turn it into whatever it is that you were putting it on film for, right? This is it. And, and so, I mean, gosh, we saw close to a dozen exotics out of Purdue in that game. And you had mentioned, you know, Uber DeGene had been on film, right? And he'd been there for two plays. One was to carry the ball. One was as a decoy, but doing sort of the same thing. And so I'm sure that if he had been healthy, he would have been there in that backfield. He would have been there doing that jet sweep action. What Iowa was going to do off of that, who knows? But it was absolutely something that they were going to force Michigan to deal with one way or the other. Because, like you said, otherwise, why are you doing it against Northwestern? Or like, why is it going to be on film in the first place? This is the opportunity to just throw everything at, you know, if, if this entire season is find a way to win, the Big Ten Championship is the ultimate just find a way to win opportunity. Like, that's the stage for all of that. And so I was going to have to just do whatever it takes because there's a trip to Pasadena on the line for it. And you know these guys want to get back there. You know they want to do something about it. Or You're shaking your head. Are they not doing Pasadena this year? Rose Bowl is one of the semifinals for the playoffs. Oh, that's so right. It is, um, it is well, off the table. A metaphorical trip to Pasadena is on the line. <laughs> and, 
And they do want to just call themselves Big Ten champions. They've never won a Big Ten championship outright. Still well, to this day under Kirk a trip, A trip to Orlando, Adam. Mm-hmm. It's on the line. <laughs> now they're, they're going to go to Orlando. Now they're going to go to Orlando if they lose the game. They'll probably go there for oh, the well, Bowl. My uh, bad, Ross. Sorry. <laughs> but no, I was going to say, you know, to Adam's point about the Big Ten title, like that's the goal Ference emphasizes every year at the start of the year and all year. Like that's the goal for the program winning a Big Ten championship. You know, everything else, you know, competing at a national level, the New Year's Six Bowls, everything else. Like, that's great, but it's kind of gravy. Like, you know, they want to compete for what they can control, and they can control the Big Ten championship to the extent that they can get there on their own. And then in that that title game, you know, it's up to them, you know, if they they can play well enough and hopefully win it or or not. Um, So, yeah, this is the goal, and – you know, this is, they're there. Um, and now we see what they can do, but man, it is really hard with this, you know, extremely stripped for parts, Iowa team against a Michigan team that is just loaded. Yeah. I think I I can sum it up in saying that you hope that Michigan makes mistakes and you hope that Iowa capitalizes on every opportunity two things that don't exactly seem come to fruition easily for this Iowa football team. I mean, you, you mentioned earlier, Elliot, like what's the path for an Iowa victory or what's the strategy? I would say the two big things are turnovers and chunk plays. Like Iowa has to force turnovers in this game. Uh, you know, they've had games this year, too many games where they didn't force any turnovers that's not going to work against Michigan. If Michigan plays a clean game, they will win like 99.5 out of a hundred times, I would say. Um, So Iowa has got to turn them over, hopefully maybe score off those turnovers. Like I think we've seen what happens if they set up the offense, like, Oh, the offense is in great position and they might not be. Um, So hopefully the, the turnovers happen. And then the chunk plays, like, I don't, Chunk plays have been kind of a thing for this offense all year. It's not an offense that can, you know, consistently move the ball five to eight yards at a clip and, you know, turn those into long drives down the field. They got a hit on that 30 yard play, the 40 yard play, you know, get a bunch of yards at once, hopefully score. That'd be great. But just move down the field that way. They got a hit. I would say at least three to four of those against Michigan to, um, to really have a shot in this game. Um, you know, uh, you thinking about Michigan and, and past games with Michigan, you know, Adam, there was the very famous game in um, 2016 where the defense said, you know, give us 14 and we'll win. And they did. You know, that was the 14-13 game. Keith Duncan is the hero. Uh, just unbelievable performance. How many points do you think Iowa has to score on Saturday to win. I don't think 14 will do it this time. I I would be shocked if 14 would do it. Uh, you know, McCarthy's playing at such a high level and Iowa, there aren't a whole lot of ways to move the ball against this Iowa defense, but one of them is having a dynamic quarterback who can move out of the pocket and find, um, 
receivers, especially talented receivers in Michigan, scout those too. So that's going to pose a challenge. Michigan can run the ball, obviously. Um, that has been – this has not been Iowa's best run defense. Um, and, and, again, there aren't a whole lot of ways to attack this Iowa team, but if you can run on a whole lot of teams, and, you know, Michigan's capable of running on pretty much anybody, you can move the chains against Iowa on third and short in running the ball. You know, the, the best running teams have been able to do that. Penn State was able to do that. And so Iowa really does need to expect something pretty similar to what Penn State did to this defense. And that was, by leaps and bounds, the defense's worst performance of the year. So, you know, there's the blueprint. And did Iowa really learn anything from that Penn State game, the way the players were talking about afterwards, right? Did that really turn into a uh, sort of that goalpost for we need to be able to be that good? We are that good, right? Like so many of them said, we're capable of beating that team. We're capable of playing that well. All right. There's the opportunity there because if Iowa is capable of you know beating Penn State Iowa is capable of hanging with Michigan this is the opportunity to show that that's not just talk that this team really does have that capability and yeah they're missing a ton of talent and a ton of the type of talent that beats a Michigan guy that that wins those one-on-one -on -one battles with some regularity they're missing a ton of that and it's not going to be easy. And, you know, the last time Iowa was in this position in Indianapolis against Michigan, it got ugly. And we've seen that happen against good teams. We saw it happen in Happy Valley, too. How does Iowa keep this from getting ugly? You know, that is in and of itself its own question, too. If Iowa's not going to be winning this game, how do they keep it from turning into a 39-point deficit? And I guess some of it is already taken care of by the Big Ten by making sure Michigan's not stealing signals uh, with impunity. But uh, aside from that, <laughs> right, with that admin out of the way, you know, what, what does Iowa do from there? And and we'll see, but they they really do have to be ready to compete for 60 minutes. They really do. We talk about Iowa's defense and special teams being what's going to keep them in it. What we do need to address, too, is that Michigan is considered, their defense is considered to be among the best in the country as well. I believe they're ranked second or third in total defense this year. Um, so Iowa's offense has gotten better. They need to finish drives. Deacon Hill cannot, cannot turn the ball over. I can tell you one thing is that that defensive line is saying he has no pocket awareness, you know, towards the back. They are swiping at the ball. They're going to try to get the ball back. There are a lot of opportunities here for Michigan. Not a whole lot of opportunities here for Iowa. Part of me in, <laughs> in this world of objectivity that we're in, Wants to see Iowa win just to watch the world burn. Like, <laughs> <laughs> so, well, 
And like, what happens if they do win? Like, are they going to, they're not going to the playoffs. No, right? no, not with two losses. No, no. I was going to say they'll be in a new year six bowl though. Won't they? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. The big 10 champion, like by rule has to go to a new year six game. So they, they would go to the cotton, the peach, uh, the orange or the fiesta, I believe. Um, Oh, the sugar is the other one that's hosting the semifinal. Yeah, yeah. the okay. sugar and the rose are the semifinal games this year, um, and then the the title game is in I think Houston at the the Texan Stadium, which is neither here nor there. Um, it would be, I don't know, kind of weirdly amusing to me if Iowa, you know, beat Michigan. That wouldn't be amusing. That would just be astonishing, actually. But if they won that game, won the Big Ten. And went back to the Orange Bowl, like three of the four, like New Year's Six level bowls Iowa has gone to under Kirk Ferentz end up being the Orange Bowl. It's like what a strange, strange trend that is. The other possibility is they play a future member of the Big Ten in Oregon or Washington. Mm. Yep. Yeah, that would be uh, that'd be a fun wrinkle too. Yeah, good call. The one wrinkle that I've got my fingers crossed that it's Washington just because that's Michael Penix. And the last time Iowa saw him, Riley Moss was it looked like Riley Moss was putting the nails in Penix's like often as a starter in college football because he had he took like he intercepted him twice, took at least one of them to the house. And, And like that to me was the point where I'm like, yeah, the Penix thing isn't working. Like this is, it's, it's, you know, good job by him, you know, nice effort and all that. But if he can't get it done against Iowa, he can't get it done. And, and I, I was ready to write him off. And now here he is like turning Washington into, you know, borderline early 90 superpower levels again. So I, I, I would really, really like to see that game, that matchup happen again. He would definitely have some flashbacks when he saw that Tiger Hawk. <laughs> oh yeah. And watch watch John Nestor somehow get reps oh. who Xavier Wampa just compared to Riley Moss. Yeah. And return yeah. two pick sixes <laughs> or a pick six in a bowl game his freshman season. Poetic justice, more or less. That would be wild. Uh and of course, like this would be the year for all of this to happen, guys. If there's any year. To, for any of this to happen, it'd be 2023. So don't count anything yeah. out at this point in time. Michigan, Iowa, 7.15 p.m. in Indy. Adam and I will be there. Very much looking forward to it. Of course, I'm sticking around for that Purdue game as well on Monday. Uh, we'll be talking with Josh Henschke, hopefully, within the next couple of days from Maize and Blue Review to preview this game. We talked with him about Caden and Eric all prior to the season. will be a quite a different conversation this time around just four months later. Uh, but very much looking forward to that. If you listen to that initial episode, you know Josh is, is the man, and he does excellent work over there for Maize and Blue Review, part of the Rivals Network. Women's basketball coming up later today. The Hawkeyes take on Kansas State. And no, you can't watch it on regular cable TV. You got to sign up for Flow Hoops. What? How much did you – is it actually $30 to sign up, Adam Ross? It's $30 a month, or there's an annual fee, which is even more expensive. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's for, $29.99. There's a huge difference. Sorry. Sorry. 
for all the other basketball games you're going to get on Flow Hoops too. Yeah, don't forget that. Golly, yeah. there is. We'll, we'll we'll just point this out. Um, the Iowa um, Hawkeyes radio network puts their feed on YouTube for free. And it's, it's through the official things. So it's not a pirate. Like it's not going to get taken down or yeah, anything and like it's, that. It's, but we'll, it's we'll be putting out that radio feed. So yeah. if you don't have $29.99 for flow hoops, um, you know, burning a hole in your pocket <laughs> for one game at this point. Yeah. Yeah. One game, but it's going to be a big no. game. This is, yeah. this is, I, I really don't know if Iowa has fixed the things that they need to fix in enough time to beat Kansas State again, or to try to beat Kansas State. But gosh, I mean, this is two years in a row. KSU's taken down Iowa. Defensively, they look better than they did last year. And I mean, gosh, they just beat um, UNC, also held them under 60 points. Like, guys, KSU looks as legit as Lisa Bluter's been warning us about. This is going to be a great game. I will say, Adam, if Iowa shoots like they did last night against Florida Gulf Coast, well, yeah, uh, they'll be okay because yeah. Iowa could not miss in that game, especially from three. I mean, school record, twenty-three pointers. They were just, they were on fire. So if they, hopefully, they saved a little bit of that uh, three-point shooting for the game against K-State uh, because. The points will be hard to come by in that game, as you said. Like K State's defense is a hundred percent legit. Iowa knows it well. You know they played it ten days ago, so they know it extremely well. Um, and yeah, it's going to be a really interesting game. It's just it's so unfortunate that you know one of the most desirable games I would say Iowa fans could watch this team play in until Big Ten play gets underway, really, and it's you know stuck behind a. Twenty nine ninety nine paywall. Um, so, yeah, that's. It's, I mean, it's, it's basically the the ticket price to to watch a game. Yeah, but but you get to watch it on streaming instead. Is Hannah Stolke a good to go? Do we know? We are. We're we're gonna find out at two, or I guess two or three hours before tip off. But yeah, that's something that they are monitoring as well. Uh, the they had indicated that it wasn't going to be particularly serious uh, after the injury happened on Friday, but it was also a game time decision yesterday. And I know that they are very careful when it comes to leg injuries, you know, especially in a sport like women's basketball, where, you know, those things can be time bombs if they're not a hundred percent. So I'm not expecting to see her go, but that is not working off of any um, information or anything like that. That's just a, a read of the situation. I would be, so I would be surprised if we see Hannah play and that's too bad because Iowa could really, really use her, especially on the middle. Uh, if you can get uh, Aoka Lee into foul trouble and keep her in foul trouble, Iowa accomplished the first half of that. Uh, against Kansas State uh, 10 days ago at Carver. But then they need to keep getting after her and keep forcing her to make those plays on defense and and try to keep, like, ratcheting up that that foul counter. Hannah Stulke is Iowa's best weapon in that fight. So if she can't go, and my guess is that she can, but it is a guess, 
that changes the strategy for how Iowa wants to attack Kansas State and um, set up its half-court offense. So I'm very interested to see how that all shakes itself out and if they want to try it with Hannah or not. We'll see. We shall see indeed, or listen indeed, <laughs> yeah. as things go ahead with this game tonight. Uh, what time is that game, Adam? Uh, that game is at uh, 6.30 Central, All right. time zone, 7.30 cool. local in Ostero, Florida, where they, uh, they they just set the Gulf Coast Showcase record for attendance with, what did they say, 4,260-something? Hell yeah. So the, I, I guess the, <laughs> the defining feature of this showcase is that nobody sees it happen. Yep. Yep. Well, anyway, we're uh, moving forward to that game tonight. Watch on Flow Hoops. Listen on uh, the Hawkeye Radio Network. That stream will be on our premium board for our listeners. Obviously, you can listen on YouTube. We just will have the link there available for our our subscribers. Men play Wednesday at 8 p.m. against North Florida in uh, Carver Hawkeye Arena. I'll be there covering that. Of course, you can follow along with us on Twitter as well as on our boards. So we'll wrap it up here. Do not forget that promo code RIVALS2023, all caps RIVALS2023. Uh, Use that code and sign up today to get a year 75% off of premium content. That's recruiting information, basketball, football, women's basketball, and the transfer portal as well. That is going to be huge. Transfer portal, stay tuned for that. That uh, The portal opens up next Monday, correct? Not this Monday, but the following Monday after the Big Ten Championship, I believe, um, to where I think schools can start talking to to players and, and such. So, Definitely want to stay tuned for that on our premium board. We'll have a transfer portal thread, of course, there. Recruiting content coming at you. Three-star 2025 quarterback Alex Mansky spoke with him just a few nights ago about his top few schools being a priority to Iowa. We get a bit of a hint as to who the next offensive coordinator will be in Iowa City, at least potentially. If you haven't checked that out, that's an opportunity to really get an idea of where Iowa is going. Secondarily, talk with Jax DeGene, the youngest DeGene, about the potential of being a Hawkeye this weekend back here in Ida Grove. And that'll be on our premium content as well. Get it all, that and more, 75% off for the entire year. This is a steal. It ends Monday. So sign up now while you can. You don't want to miss any of this great content we got going, Transfer Portal, etc. So we appreciate you tuning in to this episode of Hotcast, wherever you're listening, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube. If you're on YouTube, drop a like, drop a comment. How can the Hawkeyes stay in this game against Michigan this coming Saturday? How do you think they do it? How do they stay in it? What more do you want to hear from us on those premium boards? Let us know so we can get you to sign up for that promo code. Again, uh, Rivals2023 is that promo code. You can autofill. We have that link on my Twitter, Adam's Twitter, Ross's Twitter, and, of course, Go Iowa Awesome. So sign up there if you're not a premium subscriber yet and get that steal of a deal on Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Leave that rate and review. Helps us out. Makes us very happy. Drop a like on YouTube. All of those different things. I'm going to stop talking. Let's get out of here. Get to that content for you on our premium boards. Again, I am Elliot Clough at Elliot Clough on Twitter, joined by publisher Adam Jacoby and Ross Binder. For now, we'll see you next time.